My safe word will be whiskey. Sorry, Rod, what was that? Whiskey. Hey, how's it going? This is Steve from the uh, Park Whiskey Society podcast, Lost in Translation. I'm here with my co-host. Hey, it's Sean. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Uh, today, today we got a we got a guest for you. A uh, real cool cat, uh, someone that someone that we we not uh, worked super close with up to kind of recently, and he he did a tasting for the Edmonton Scotch Club for us. And I know Sean and I, and we could probably speak for a few other people in the community that we just instantly fell in love with this guy. Uh, it, it just passion passion bleeds out of them and, and that's why well, that's what we're all here for so uh jeffrey uh jeffrey maris how, how are you today i'm wonderful thank you for having me it's great to see you guys and i'm i'm over the moon to be talking about highland park today oh absolutely and you and i will we'll go over a little bit over your background but you you work for edrington you you obviously manage the entire portfolio for for western canada but we we already got into McAllen with with Cam Cam the man and uh, so we're we're gonna get into Highland Park. This is Highland Park is a uh, yeah is is a lot of uh, <laughs> of of Sean and he he just like I don't know I know that he's been talking my ear off about wanting to get you on to talk about this talk about this brand so I'm I'm pretty eager to see how this goes um, but let's like like we do with all of our our podcasts let's start off with uh, kind of hearing your your journey and kind of what led you to to this position with Edrington and um, yeah, just what, what got you here? Oh, it's a long one, man. I'll tell you what, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. I, uh, I look around right now and I realize how long it's been, but uh, to begin, probably as soon as I could travel, I did travel. I have, I carry two passports. I carry a Canadian passport and an Irish passport. And as soon as I was able to, move about after high school. I did. Uh, took off, started wandering around the UK and Ireland and then into Europe. And I had nowhere to be really. I mean, I had, I tried the baseball route. I realized that, well, I wasn't going to make it. So the, the hair started to get longer. The, uh, the earrings went in, the guitar came out and I just took off. <laughs> and uh, I went back and forth for several years, just jumping back, make money to get a plane ticket to come visit the other place. And so while it may have been a round trip ticket, the round trip never made it. It ended up being one ways. I spent all kinds of time uh, throughout Ireland, initially learning to pour a proper pint and make sure that the whiskey wasn't over poured. And then I made my way into Europe and worked in fun places, little, little hostels all over the place. I'd, I'd play to stay, you know, so I'd, I'd have maybe a, two hours set in the corner. They give me a room, a bottle of wine and a meal. Perfect. And that's how I'd, I'd take myself around for quite some time. And it was a great time. It was a great, a great ride. And I, after staying in Switzerland for a little while, I made my way way, 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 way West there. Then I ended up in Spain um, and a little bit fortuitous because we'll talk a lot. We'll talk a lot more about Spain and the influence here, but um, I ended up in the Canary Islands for, for quite a while, for a couple of years there. And truly until I just, I got tired, but that, that's where I started to cut my teeth really into the spirits, Ireland for the pints. And when I got to Spain, it was more for the wine and spirits and into the hospitality realm. And, and 
I'm young here at this point, so I'm, I'm just just barely cutting it. But, you know, around 20, 20 years old, 20, turned 21 over there, I believe. Um, so I started sinking my hands into writing cocktail recipes, making menus, um, understanding what a bartender was, understanding what service actually means. And that truly brought me back over the water when I realized that six days of bartending, rolling over on your surfboard to shower and then rolling back to wake up and go to work was getting a little tiresome. You realize you got to come home and see people every now and again. And so I brought it back to North America. Um, Family was in Calgary. That's where settled down, put my feet on the ground, decided, okay, going to get a job. First thing I did ended up in a in another bar restaurant, right? Where I was just, it was the fastest way to make a couple bucks after coming home. So that's what I was in for, right? And then uh, the more I got into that, the more I started talking to people on the other side of the hospitality, which was numbers. I needed to start understanding a bit more of the business side of things. So I ended up working with PepsiCo. And as soon as I I left that, I I needed to get back into the industry. (laughs) So I went back into the bartending realm of things and started throwing my hat around a little bit, which led me to agency there where I was looking after Brown Foreman portfolio. I was looking after some of the Moet Chandon, you know, the, the Vouve Clicquot, all the, the champagnes of the world, mm-hmm. um, which was a lot of fun, man. But that was in Calgary looking after sort of white tablecloth and boutiques and stuff like that. And then that sort of just progressed. You know, I, I started off, do you want to know what my first gig as an ambassador was, was as the Yellowtail Wine brand ambassador, right? And this is, this is a long, long time ago, but (laughs) that's a little, that's a little gem that I haven't even thought about. That just came out now. You get experience Uh, though with a big, a big brand though, at that point, right? mm -hmm. Massive brand. So yeah. And it's weird because I mean, you could put at that time when it was first kicking off, uh, you could, you could throw the bottle down on the bottom shelf covered in a newspaper. It's still going to sell. Oh yeah, right? and so I mean, it was it was understanding what people wanted, which sort of led me down the path, right? And fast forward through a bit more bartending, a couple more side gigs, you know, um, wonderful place in Calgary called Ironwood Stage, right? That's why I worked for a great guy there named Pat McIntyre, and he he took me into sort of let me bartend and let me get my feet back on the ground in this okay. incredible venue over on Ninth Avenue in Calgary, and uh, you know, there's where I. I put my put my hand out and said, you know what? I want I want to get in the ambassador realm again and Maker's Mark happened. And uh, I was able to take myself back and forth from Calgary to Toronto and interview with them. Mm-hmm. And at the time, part of the interview, six months prior to that, this sort of iconic good pal of mine was sitting at the table there and he was sort of interviewing me and he was looking after Eastern Canada at this time. And, you know, we decided, okay, this is going to work. And it, it did. And it worked beautifully for about two and a half years where we would take people down and host them in Kentucky, down in the adult Disney world that it is. Oh, yeah. And I had roll people around with mint tulip tours, you know, so we'd, we'd hit all kinds of distilleries down throughout, throughout Kentucky. Um, then, then a rum brand came about, right. And a, a rum brand out of Nicaragua came knocking and, it was, it was a neat, neat interview because they prefaced it in Alberta as wanting insight on the on what it was like to be an, Al, 
an ambassador in Alberta in the privatized market. And I put together a nice little nice spreadsheet and all kinds of stuff that I was going to say, okay, well, here's what the opportunities are. And, you know, here's the benefits of being in this privatized market. And the gentleman closed the computer. He said, I need to get you in a room so I could offer you the job. And he said, I've been watching you for a little minute here. So um, if, what do you think? Let me tell you about it. And he opened his computer. I said, no, 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 stop it. We're slowly roll. Right. I, I put together this whole presentation. You're going to see it because it's really good. <laughs> so I went, I went from there to him presenting to me. Uh, I ended up working for this brand for about six and a half years. Oh, wow. Um, going back and forth from Central America up to Canada and then started looking after a larger territory where I was traveling all over the U.S. as well. U.S., Canada and Central America between Costa Rica and Nicaragua. And so that was an absolute ride. Yeah. And then a lady we know, uh, my current boss, Kyla Hample, she we went out for lunch and she said, I need you to uh, send me a list of people you might know on the West Coast uh, who would potentially fit the role of brand ambassador for the Edrington portfolio. I said, no problem. You know, I'll put it together. There's a lot of cool folks in the industry that would be all over this. Yeah. Right? And the, the big shoes, I mean. This Dan Volway, man, this guy educated as could be. And I'm sure you cats know him as well. But um, the more I thought about it, the more I, I looked at uh, I looked at my partner and I said, man, I don't know. I think I, I think I kind of want to crumple up this piece of paper and throw my own hat in the ring. Absolutely. So I, I set the meeting with Kyla and uh, sat down. She goes, OK, who do you got? And I slid my CV across the table and I said, uh, would you consider it? She ordered drinks and we kept going. Right. And that was just over two years ago. So, uh, yeah, it's been just over two years. She flew me out for my first day. I finished my last gig up on a Sunday night. She had me on a Sunday plane to Aberdeen and I woke up in June for my first day with the Edgington America's family, uh, at a beautiful place, beautiful place, just outside Aberdeen. And that's where it began. That's that's cool. Like they, they, an interview like that is exactly what a guy's looking for, really. Someone that already knows and trusts you enough to ask you what, uh, like your advice on candidates and for you to put your own hat in the ring like that. I'm sure she was thrilled. Like you, you, you almost wonder if her, uh, if her intention was actually maybe get your attention at the same time. I hope so. It worked. It worked. Yeah, it's funny because I remember, like, I used to, I still do, but at that time when that was all happening, I was talking with Cam a lot, just through Instagram, and you know, picking his brain and stuff. And um, he he had even asked, he's like, you know, do you know anybody in Western Canada that would, you know, be good for this? And I was like, well, like, I was still fairly new, like, I hadn't reached as you know many people as I have now, but, um, I was just like, man, that would be such a cool job. And then it wasn't too much longer after that. And then your name came up and I was like, oh, okay, well, I don't know who this guy is, but Hey, if he's even half of what cam was at that time for me, I was like, this is going to be awesome. And then I had the pleasure of doing a masterclass in Calgary two two years ago now. And I was like, yeah, this guy, He's a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to work beautifully. And then obviously even then I still didn't really know much about you. I just had experience in front of you. And then that McAllen tasting that we just did, that was like, yeah, this guy is a true rock star. (laughs) It was, it was awesome. I felt like we got to see, we got to see two sides of, of you 
Jeffrey, right? It was, we got to see that we get to hear the, the professionalism in the presentation. And then we got to, we got to, we spent a lot of time afterwards just chatting. Just like hanging with, out. Yeah. So we got to, yeah, we got to talk to you as well. And that's, that's the, honestly the, the biggest reason why we're doing this podcast is because the, our nation is so rich with personality in this industry that um, a lot, like a lot of people that don't get to kind of talk to you like we do, maybe they don't get to really see the, the personality of, of a lot of you ambassadors. So I just thought it'd be such a cool concept to, to connect and, and just talk, talk whiskey drinker to drinker. That's the coolest part. And then, and then of course, learn something about the brands while we're at it, but to be able to showcase the personalities in this nation is one of the, like, it, it's an honor. I'm, I'm super appreciative of it. That's for sure. Yeah. It was, you know, for us when festivals happen, you know, we, yeah, we go to the festivals and we hang out and, you know, standing beside a hundred people lined up waiting to drink your, what you're pouring. But we also get before and after, you know, we get to hang out and chat. And so we do get both sides. Whereas most people that go to the festival, they just see that, you know, two hour window where it's, you know, business hat on. And yeah. So yeah. When Steve first came up with this idea, I said, yeah, like, yeah, of course we're going to talk about the brands and everything, but let's make it about the people. And yeah, we, we give them a, you give you like a dual platform, right. To, to sell yourself, your personality, your own brand. And of course the brands that you represent, which, yeah. Well, I tell you, hopefully it's, it's working. A, it's, 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 a, it's a treat to do, you know, I mean, it's, you're right. There's, there's so many personalities out there, you know, you meet so many walks in this industry. It's never, ever boring. No, right? there's not, there's not a moment where you go, ah, oh, today's exactly like yesterday, which was like the day before there is no groundhog. And it's, uh, it's pretty wild, man. It's pretty wild to do. And then to, represent a portfolio like the Edrington portfolio. That's, mm-hmm. that's one of many hats, you know, you've, you're either buckled up and, you know, tied up proper, or perhaps you get to relax a little bit. So perhaps it goes a little more Caribbean, you know? And so there's, there's so many avenues there and it's really, really interesting to see all the people out there. Well, and so yeah, let's get into that a little bit. Like what, like, did you, when you got that position, did you kind of feel this like sense of, I need to step up my game? Like this is, this is the big leagues now, right? Like Edrington is as famous of a portfolio that exists or were, were you always, were you always just this, I don't know, cool talking, suave kind of just, <laughs> just obviously just really good at your job, right? Like were, were you just always that or did you, did you have to step it up to kind of match the personality that you think they were looking for? This was one and th- this portfolio, it demands a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. You have, there's so many nuances to so many different brands that you have to be on all the time. Yeah. And that's very similar for, for most ambassadors in what they're representing. There's great pride, hence the, the title. But, you know, for this one, I don't know that I had to step it up anymore. I had to clean it up a little bit. You know, I, I definitely had to, uh, I definitely had to brush up on the single malt world, you know, coming from a rum world. You know, I'm going from somewhere where there's no legality surrounding the spirit, virtually none, unless you get down to the Caribbean, you know, it's a whole other topic of conversation to then one of the most regulated. And so being accurate, being 
you know, your attention to detail with every little thing, because you're, if you're a miss on that, well, then a lot of credibility starts to wander out the window and you lose people's attention. And yeah, it's, for sure. it, so that was more of the, that was more of the balancing act. It was understanding the magnitude of the portfolio, the importance of brands like Highland Park, like the McCallum, like Glen Rothes, and then reeling it back in to be perfectly honest with you and being yourself because that's how you got the gig. Right. And so that's kind of, that's kind of the balancing act. Yeah. You got to balance being, being professional on your game, but also being genuine and having, yeah, having a likable personality. Do you find that in like, I don't know how the rum world is or communities are, or whiskey drinkers and like a more knowledgeable kind of uh, community than the rum or is, is rum kind of the same way? I don't have much experience in the rum community. Rum's the same way. Is it Absolutely. Same way? I, I find in the rum community, because there's so many unknowns, mm-hmm. people delve deeper, right? Uh, because yeah. it's so hard to find information on it, they delve a lot deeper. And so at the time, I was sitting talking about 1888 from Brugal in the Dominican, mm-hmm. and I was hearing all walks of life. I, I was listening. I was enamored on a call listening to The Rock from Jamaica, Joy Spence. Right. And she's just brilliant to even listen to. And everybody else on the call, including Robin Wynn, who's opened up a new place in Toronto called Little Sister. He was hosting it. And my God, a wealth of knowledge always has been, always will be. He's just constantly looking for something different. But the amount of information in the rum community mm-hmm. is staggering. So there's no one beating out the other. Interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's really, it's a lot of fun, man. I tell you what. And there's, I, I keep hearing there's a lot of, um, run rum clubs around town here uh, more specifically and we've just never we're kind of slowly getting into rum a little bit but uh it's just such a whole different ball game than whiskey right it's and to catch if, if yeah i feel like you're doing i'm doing catch up on it so much that it's kind of hard to engulf yourself when you're just paid Obviously, whiskey is the center of my attention usually. At least that's what my wife tells me. But <laughs> and that kind of that kind of reels it right back to your last question, man. I was kind of the same way. Oh, I'm you know, sure. Yeah. Back in going, oh my God, there's so much to get back into and you know, revisit, you know, representing the spirits before and in the bourbon world, namely, mm-hmm. but then jumping back from the rum world into whiskey again. Um, yeah, it was daunting. Don't get me <laughs> wrong. It was super daunting. I mean, when I showed up for my first day, I'm coming off an airplane. Right. And I'm seeing this this North America community of of Edrington brand ambassadors and employees. And wow, you know, staggering, beautiful hotels, beautiful grounds. Everybody's got a drink in their hand, introducing me all over. Yeah, it's intimidating for sure. I I have no doubt it was overwhelming. And but clearly, clearly you're killing it because it's (laughs) fun, man. I tell you what, it's fun when you start to get to know the people, everybody's people. Right. And so, I mean, that removes that intimidation factor that removes a little bit of that, that hoity-toity pretentiousness that'll always be there in the whiskey world, but Absolutely. we can, we can balance how much of it we, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it's important knowing like when, when to remove the pretentiousness and then when to kind of hold on to it because it's still, yeah. there is still some prestige and there's some, like, there's just a class, there's a level of class involved with whiskey drinking that, so you've, there's and people understand the pretentiousness. It's just sometimes people can let the pretentiousness get the worst of them, which is when it kind of when it becomes that problem. So it's kind of knowing kind of when to travel around that line and, and do it effectively. So yeah, I think yeah. there's a perceived amount of clout that comes with this, yeah. right? And so that perception, it can be daunting. 
And that can, that's something that to your point, we have to balance out or else we start to lose new whiskey enthusiasts who want to get into the world of whiskey. Yes. So that's the balancing act. That's a huge one. Not making it too intimidating for the new drinkers because that's, yeah, you definitely, that's where you lose them for sure. Totally. Totally. Like for me, whether it was Cam, now Jeffrey, you know, you, Josh, like when I first got into it and yeah, it was like, Oh, where, what am I getting myself into? Like, I just wanted to drink this (laughs) to look cool and seem cool. And, but everybody welcomed you in. And so like, that's the beauty of the whiskey fabric, especially in Canada is that everybody welcomes you in and you know, you're there as much as or little as you want to be. Yeah. Um, I'm going to pour us the Highland Park 12. This is not this one, but Highland Park 12 was the first bottle of whiskey I ever bought myself. So it will always hold a special place in my heart. Um, while I'm pouring this out of all the whiskeys that you represent in the Edrington portfolio, is there one that you gravitate more towards to drink when you're not, you know, business hat on when you're just chilling at home, picking up a guitar? Is there one that you grab more than any other? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know what? It's, uh, it's tricky. I, I, I go go through moods. I grab the guitar. I'm, I'll probably be more Highland Park driven. You know, I, I start studying. I'm probably going to be more of the McAllen driven. Um, if I'm grabbing something just cause I'm, I'm wanting to get delved back into the whiskey world, then I'll probably get into the Glen Rothes to be perfectly honest with you. Cause it's so interesting. Um, a go-to for me, I won't step around the question. I'll definitely answer it would be, it's going to be Highland Park 18, right? It's going to, that's going to be my go-to. It's, it's slowly going away as I was showing you earlier, but uh, that's the one I'll, I'll really take my time with, really appreciate, really get into where I first had it, who I was drinking with, you know, the pals that introduced me to it, uh, what it means, and really think about where it's from, the whole thing. So I'd say Highland Park 18 would be my answer to that. Yeah, I don't disagree. (laughs) Highland Park 18 is a spectacular, spectacular whiskey. It's uh, it's good in almost any moment. I feel right. It's just got this like drinkability to it. What like the the sherry the like I don't know just all the aspects of that whiskey is just yeah Yeah, you can you can have it as something (laughs) like when you're when you're making dinner and it's just sitting there beside you and you don't have to think about it and it's just like okay this is great or or you can dive into it yeah you can truly appreciate the layers that yeah that it rep yeah it presents and it's it's yeah fantastic fantastic whiskey yeah the only thing I could recommend is don't tell don't show it to people who are just getting in and you're introducing them to the world because they're going to be pissed they're going to be mad at you I tell you what because you've introduced them to the 18 as their entry and it's it has that entry there is no barrier on it you can walk in and go oh man I want to be about this whiskey world and it's outstanding isn't it and so to do that walk them through the door gently you know bring them through with this one that we're imbibing on the 12th right this is a flagship from Highland Park this is an outstanding spirit you yeah know, that's, like, what, what a way to walk in right yeah for sure it'd be like taking your 16 year old child and having them drive a lexus first or a bmw yes. first kind of thing and, and then give them the keys <laughs> and then give them, the keys, yeah. <laughs> give them a k car from <laughs> 1988 <A> yeah <laughs> right you know that's just that's that's a perfect analogy yeah <laughs> for yeah, sure and like for the 12 like any facebook groups or even on instagram when people ask me like what is a good whiskey 
just to get into, I always say Highland Park 12 to me showcases the aspects of all the different Scotch regions. Mm-hmm. You have that, you know, that Heather Pete, so a little bit of Pete intro to the Pete world and then the an sh- inviting Pete. Yeah. Like the Sherry cast, you almost get like that Highland depth to it. And then, I mean, maybe not the funk of Campbelltown, but um, no. it, it, it's so balanced in every aspect. And to me, like if, if you're not going to enjoy Highland Park 12, there's, you might not enjoy much. You yeah. might not enjoy whiskey. <laughs> yeah. This yeah, is like, good for point. me. For me, Highland Park was any, anytime I was away from home, Cause it was always Highland Park 12 was always something you could find usually wherever you went. So it was, that's right. It's always what I grabbed to bring back to the hotel room or wherever we're staying. Cause it's, you just, yeah, it's reliable. It's consistent. It's always there. Usually like, it's just one of those whiskeys. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful dram. So well, let's, uh, it's got a beautiful, I haven't had it for a little while actually. And the nose is spectacular on it, but I would um, let's get into kind of what I'm, I'm curious to hear your take on Highland Park and kind of its significance, significance in the world of whiskey. Significance in the world of whiskey. Well, I tell you what, it's going to definitely stem from comments you're making straight off the hop, you know, that Heather honey sweetness. Now what, what this is, is something that differentiates as far as Pete's concerned. When, when a lot of people hear about Pete, they back away real fast. You know, they're going, no, 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 no. I don't want to, you know, I can taste that tomorrow. I did that once, you know, and it's all over and it's all encompassing. That's all I can taste for the rest of days. And we're very aware of that. You know, we're very aware and it's beautiful whiskey for where, for what it is, right? And we're a complete departure. So while we're talking about this, what we're looking at is, where we're from and that's where that pete's going to differentiate and i know we were we wanted to delve into the pete characters a little bit more now we're located way up in the orkney islands right so if you go up to the most northern point of scotland and then you go another sort of 12 miles into the into the water you know sort of where north sea crashes into the atlantic ocean there's about 70 islands up there only about 20 of them are inhabitable Right. But that's where Kirkwall is. Right. That's where our distillery is. And when we're talking about that first character that we start to get on the whiskey, when we're nosing it, that Heather honey sweetness. Right. The Heather runs all over top of the peat box that go around. And we collect all our peat from a place called Hobster Moor, which surrounds our distillery. And the aging on it is ridiculous. You know, we're going sort of literally 9,000 years old and we're going 14 meters deep into the ground. But what, where we are, this is how we really differentiate when we're collecting our peat from the places like Isla is that we have a hundred mile an hour winds whipping around up there. And there's no way, there's no way you could plant any trees. So there aren't. And so therefore there's no wood character to any of our peat. And that's where that gentle nature, that soft nature of the peat comes into play. Being up there, the highest thing you're going to see is a lighthouse. Just so people don't crash into the side of, but uh, (laughs) that's truly it. I mean, we're at, with those whipping winds, temperature wise, we're about 16 degrees in the summertime and we're about zero maybe minus two in the winter, right? 
And it's always that way. And it's so it's consistent and we know what's going to happen. But it also is evident in the peat box. Right. So when we cut into that, we have a very, very different terroir. We've got a very, very different character than we would on the West Coast, mm-hmm. right? Way down low in Isla. So it really differentiates. So when you have your nose in there and you get that sweetness, that's what it's truly from. Those that sweet heather that's growing all over the peat bogs, that the incredible peat that grows in Hobbister more, and then how we cut and collect it. So what a, what a cool way to start up, right? Oh, absolutely. Like the peep, like the PPM on the actual peat has got to be under 10, I imagine, right? It's like on this, on this tramp, on the 12 year, like it's yeah, very, well, very light, very approachable. Yeah. And when you, we start talking about that, we, we, I was having this conversation with somebody and it was, we, we were sort of looking at that realm between between sort of 10 and 18. Right? And then we were looking at other ones and it was between sort of, 20 and 23 right and it was sort of that gauge that area where mm-hmm. we didn't so much talk about that because it was so different right because that parts per million were so affected by where we were from it was almost difficult to compare right it's such a gentle hit of peat it's not one of those overwhelming mouthfeels it's more of a a welcome into how inviting peat can be and not overwhelming to take away from any of the whiskey, right? You could still taste the alcohol that dances on your tongue and that's what we want, right? But then you have that story of the peat that grows with it. And now you've got an all encompassing character that's just showing what a cask can do, what a sherry seasoned oak cask can do to a spirit to drive that natural color that's in your glass there. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing, nothing being added to it, which is a treat. I mean, with, with the imbibing we like to do and the, the education we like to provide ourselves, we get into these and we start going and then you realize, whoa, this is a little awkward to stand up now. And so we have to be careful and take our time with it and really, really understand what 43% ABV means. Yes, we can climb higher and higher. We will. And we've got some whiskey we'll talk about that does. Mm-hmm. complexity and things like that. But when we're walking through the door, there's a reason the Viking honor, the 12 years old from Highland park is our flagship. It has all of the characters to welcome you into the world of peated scotch whiskey. Well, and there's, and with, with like an entry level whiskey like this, there is a responsibility of, of brands and, and obviously Highland park and McAllen um, because of their popularity and their um, kind of just the, that they're a household brand, they have this responsibility to be approachable to the everyday drinker and also complex enough for the enthusiast, which is not, it's def- I don't imagine that's a very easy <laughs> thing to, to build, to build a whiskey that can kind of serve both plates at the same time. So the four, like 43% serves this yeah. Serves this whiskey perfectly. Like if you, you could, yeah, you could go up to 46 or you'd go up to, to whatever you want, I guess. But I find that when you're recommending a new whiskey, like Sean said, it's absolutely perfect for the new whiskey drinker. Cause it is, it's not too high of a proof. So it's approachable and it offers a lot of great characters to it. But then if you want somebody that maybe hasn't gotten into Highland park, but is very familiar with a lot of other whiskeys, you can point them here to, to start and it's a great representation of what Highland Park can create before they kind of venture through the rest of them. And that's that's perfect, man. I mean, that 
truly shows the artistry and the magic of a master whiskey maker like go to motion. Mm-hmm. Right? This is, this is where he flips a switch and he goes, okay, this is what we're going to create. This is how we're going to utilize the, the proper casks that we have, right? We, we made them a certain width, a certain length. We're using a certain size just for this very reason. And that we have to always have the consistency, continue to have our whiskey enthusiasts, continue to have it be the daily dram of collectors and whiskey lovers and entry whiskey fans. Um, but consistency being the main character, right? We have to have that all the time. Mm-hmm. And that's where his nose, his palate really comes into play and mm-hmm. showcases what we can do up in this bizarre climate. That is the Orkney Islands. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I, I would love to visit Orkney. Yeah, it's on, it's, it's like on the bucket list. Let's just right on the top of mine. My, We're going to uh, pack you in a suitcase, though, and take you with us. Just yeah. so you I'll know. meet you there. There's no question. Yeah, I'll, be, I'll be there, man. Yeah, my in-laws were actually supposed to do a cruise last September, I think. And oh, it was supposed yeah, to go right. from Liverpool all the way around Ireland and Scotland and then up. And they were supposed to dock in Kirkwall for two days. And when I found out that they couldn't, I was like... That would have been beautiful, yeah. How am I supposed to get all the cool distillery exclusives back? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's um, not for the faint of heart, because where it is, man, that's not easy to get to. So that's, no, that's that's a cool trip if they're able to kick that off. Hey, if I got to go to, what is it, John O'Groot's at the top of the top of the Scotland there and swim across, I'll swim across. I need, <laughs> I need to get there somehow. <laughs> yeah. Um, one question I wanted to ask, now that you've had a couple of years representing Highland Park, do you find that the hardcore fans of Highland Park are maybe different than hardcore fans of the other brands? Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that about it. You know, it's one of the, it's one of the reasons it's on my arm, you know, it's that that's the sort of blood you bleed when you, when you love this brand, right? It's, it's what you want to seek out. It's what you want to talk about. If the, if the conversation, wherever you are, goes dull is where you go to. Right. It's it's one of those ones that truly becomes yours. Right. And the the Highland Park, even the classes, you know, when we we set up shop in Victoria or Edmonton or Calgary or Winnipeg and we get into these classes, the first ones to sell out are the Highland Park ones. Right. And it's. It's interesting because they know they're going to be around like minded people, right, people who are approachable, people that want to really delve into what are you tasting? Cause I know it's going to be different from what I'm tasting. Mm-hmm. So how are we, how are we going to get together on this? And, and then honestly, that's how these groups start to come together, right? You get a bunch of folks that are sitting around and we should do this next Saturday. We should do this next Saturday. And it carries on. And it's, it's wonderful to see the camaraderie that comes. And that's truly why we call it the inner circle at Highland park. It's our tribe. This is, these are, these are our people for sure. And do they differentiate from a lot of the single malt whiskey patrons, enthusiasts, lovers in the world? Yeah, yeah, they do. Absolutely. And they're good for them. I know. I've got, I've got my lapel pin, but I've also, it was like right after I got into whiskey and mm-hmm. because the 12 was my first bottle. You ordered that jacket. No, that my wife right? got it for me for oh, Christmas. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's I right. have the, like the full-on winter parka, parka. which yeah. nice. Orkney and Canada <laughs> go hand in hand with that. It's similar for cold, man. I tell you. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I, I, I love that jacket and even just wearing it to like, well, back when you could go to bars or whatever tastings, like people always, always ask got about attention. It. Yeah. yeah. The one thing that I really notice about Highland park is 
a lot, like a lot of the other big brands will carry kind of, honestly, they carry the lovers and the haters along with, with brands. Right. And, and being, especially the other brand that you represent being McCallum, McCallum can kind of carry, it can carry both avenues almost equally sometimes when you're, when you get into groups, but Highland Park is unique to me because in all the, all the enthusiast groups that, that I'm a part of, whenever Highland Park comes up in a conversation, it's never a question of whether you drink it or you don't, because everybody kind of drinks it and everybody kind of appreciates it. Like it's, you're either, you're either a super fan or just a fan. There's not really, like, I really don't find the other side and, and not, not saying that like McCallan deserves any hate or anything. People, people just love to hate things. And McCallan sits on a shelf on its own. Yeah, exactly. It's a money thing. Right. And people, yeah, it, it, people just, they, they find it easier to put negative energy in the world than they do positive energy and they'll pick things to pick on. And McCallan just happens to be it, but, but it's like but that Highland was, Park that, is just like, yeah, it's loved across the board. Even if you don't own any bottles, people still talk about how they appreciate it, which is, it's really unique to me. Honestly, it's fascinating. Yeah. You hit it on the head when you said you can get it everywhere, right? Everywhere you go, it's going to be on the back. It's going to be on the back bar. It's going to be on the shelf in the store. It's going to be at your friend's place in their cabinet, right? When they say, what would you like? Boom. There you go. Yeah. Right. And well, so, yeah, there's a reason for it. It's dependable. The, the 12, not only is it, you know, every bottle is consistently great, but here, like we get it for, like I bought it for $36 Canadian last summer, the day that we went golfing. <laughs> I was on the way to go golf with these guys. And then somebody sent a message out on Instagram, like this one store in the far corner of Edmonton has it for 36 bucks. And I walked in and I was like, yeah, I'll take that, please. Limit one, of course. Yeah. So then I put out the word <laughs> people like in Fort Mac were trying to get in. Like we aren't honoring that deal at all. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's nice <laughs> to be you. So yeah, you start sending family into buy, man. You send everybody, you know, one at a time. Just go oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. But I'm <laughs> like, it's just, I've it got, just shows the value. there. Yeah. And I, I mean, I'll pay double that easily. Yeah. And easily. I have paid double that for the 12 and yeah, it just it will always sit on my cabinet shelf and proudly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you. Let's um let's get because we kind of touch on the cast a little bit. So um obviously like McAllen uses their they do they have a process to season cast to produce for, for their whiskey and Highland Park, do they use the same pretty much the same process or the same kind of management? Similar. Yeah. Similar? It's okay. uh so the McAllen their cask management program is second to none on the planet. It's yeah. it's it, they spend the most dollars. They spend the most time cultivating it. They have the master of wood and Stuart McPherson, right? Mm -hmm. And so he goes back and forth from Scotland to Hareth. And so Edrington as a whole utilizes this area, right? From the Glenrothes to Highland Park to McCallum. Mm -hmm. We utilize this area. We utilize the partnerships, the Cooperages, the Bodegas, to access that sherry season oak. Now, Gordon, Gordon Motion, um, he has different parameters for what he wants to age his whiskey in. So he wants staves cut a certain size, certain length, a certain uh, char or toast on the inside of it so that it accepts the whiskey in the way he knows it's going to reflect naturally afterwards. So he will say, I need this wood. I need it laid out and seasoned for this amount of time. I need um, staves cut this way. Um, 
I'll be down at this time to inspect and see and see what's going on. So the partnerships are similar, just not to the same degree, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the McCallum's been doing a whole other thing. I'll digress on that one. But the the Highland Park style of creating and obtaining what they want out of that wood naturally says that, yeah, we're going to still have the sherry in that oak. We're going to use American and European sherry seasoned oak. Mm-hmm. We're going to balance out probably a little bit more predominantly with the sherry seasoned oak. But as you've seen, we've got all kinds of projects going on all the time. Yeah. And so that innovator die mentality says that they're going to play around with different styles. Um, the same bodegas, the, you know, the Huberto de Mex, the um, Tavasas, right? The, the really cool places that are partnering with us for the cask management are all in place pretty much for Edrington to access uh, because that sherry seasoning is so important to everything in the Edrington portfolio from the whiskey to the rum. Yeah. And you kind of, you kind of got into a little bit of my next question because I feel like Highland Park probably experiments more with the different styles of Oak than say than McAllen does because McAllen really wants to stay inside that, that focused box of theirs to create what they're creating. When Highland Park creates all kinds of, all kinds of funky and different expressions all the time. And but that's what I was going to say. Are we going to see a famous grouse Rioa cask? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was waiting for the question on it. I knew it was coming at one point or another. Um, you know what? It's every distillery is every distillery. All walks, yeah. you know, you know, you can talk to all 57 or whatever there are in space side and then in the span out all over the place, mm-hmm. the cask management and the adoration for the cask is going to be the biggest thing that people are talking about. It's the reason that things change over the years so much because everybody wants access to these sherry seasoned oak or just the European oak or just the American oak and yada, yada, right? It always used to be just ex-bourbon barrels of water that we talk about. But if we think about it, the most important thing about it is the cask because that's where it's spending the most time, right? Absolutely. That's, that's, that's the mortgage. That's what we're putting it into. If it spends 25, 30, 50 years in there, that's what we want to ensure is quite the shell. That's the home for the whiskey. So that's why it's so damn important. Well, and, and having that good cask management program um, developed and and kind of built out is it's definitely going to be important kind of going into the future because everybody knows there is going to be a cask shortage. And I think a lot of other distilleries are going to be following suit as we, I don't know, as, as we continue through the years because how many new distilleries have popped up in in the United States and Ireland and Scotland and all over the world that like, there's only really so much Oak to go around and yeah. what, what Highland park and, or the Edgerton portfolio itself has done is basically just, they've created a system where they can kind of just block out all that noise because they're, they've got, they've got their shit together <laughs> for lack mm-hmm. of better words, right? They can continue producing and being confident they can produce the same whiskey going forward while everyone else kind of struggles to find their own ground. Yeah. The sustainability side of it, right. That's, yeah. that's, that's huge. I mean, it's the reason that people use the ex bourbon barrels because they, they're very, they're barely touched mm-hmm. and then they can use them and use them again, depending on what they're doing, but cultivating from what we like to call sort of that, that acorn to glass mentality, right. From truly planting to 112 years later, where you can have those, bottles and that's where it began and where it went to i mean we're going to go after every inch of land we can to replant 
And we started doing it years and years and years ago. And you had to for this very reason. Right? That sustainability model has been looked after by all sorts. But I know for a fact, we with Edrington, we, we take a great deal of pride in it. And yes, we built our relationships so that we have access to a lot of casks, to a lot of wood. And we felled the trees properly in the right areas to um, recultivate the forests properly. Mm-hmm. Right. We paid very close attention to that. And that's part of the cask management process. It's not just sourcing it. It's where it actually began and which parts of the forest were going to grow faster than others so that we can ensure that that rebuild was always, always happening. Yeah. And that's definitely very important as well. Um, yeah. Like this. I'm sorry. I just lost my train of thought because I was looking at a question. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the sustainability side yeah. of, of anything, like it's such a focus in the world right now, just with everything. Like, believe me, I work in the oil field, so <laughs> yeah. I, I see it, but, um, you know, my yeah. company, we are huge on sustainability re- reclamation and, you know, one of the largest in private investors in the ca- country in renewable resources. Mm-hmm. So I see that side of it. And now with, you know, my hobby getting into whiskey, like you see it now brands, you know, getting rid of all their non-recyclable packaging or other brands shifting all their, their packaging to locally sourced and hundred percent recyclable. And, you know, with the, with the cask management and the trees and stuff, it's, it's, it's not something that, you know, will make your bottle taste any different tomorrow, but down the road, it's making it consistent. And I think like on my Instagram, I was talking about this the last few days, like when brands change and rebrand and go through whole new package cycles, a lot of times it's because they're shifting focus way that the, the quality inside the bottle has changed. And with Highland Park, like we obviously know it went through a rebranding in the last what was it? Three years ago. But I mean, whether the 12 year changed a little bit or not, that's up for debate. Did they, did they change at all at all? Can you say, can you say whether they changed at all? Everything's changing gentlemen. Yeah. Well, it's always changing, I I guess. I mean, it's done in batches, right? So you're never going to get consistency from a batch three years ago till now. And well, you'll get consistency, but there will be no, yeah, slight like, differences. Like yeah. I hear where you're going. I know, I know exactly where you're going. This was this was a fun one, and I was <laughs> I was speaking. This is what I was speaking with Martin about. Yeah, and so, we, were, we were talking about it. it is different. Yeah, and and yeah. for me, like me and some of my most trusted palates that I rely on have done it blind. Yeah, and one of us picked the new one, and one of us picked the old one. Doesn't mean that we're wrong. No, it's just what no. your palate goes after. But the thing is, is we both agreed it was 90 to 95% consistent and it was literally bottles three years apart. Yeah. So yeah. that again, goes back to when the, I posted not too long ago about the 18, because yeah. it's just something about the old, which I'm on my last <laughs> bottle, but <laughs> I've got a full there's one. just something about <laughs> this. That's just like, not saying that it's it, like much, much better than the, the new 18, but it's just something different that kind of just appeals to me more. And I can't even really put my finger on it. So it's that slight, but yeah. I just, yeah, I just love this, the older label 18. I maybe it could all be in my head for all I know, but I don't have an <laughs> You know what? <laughs> you know what? To be perfectly candid with you. I mean, we, for the longest time back then, you know, you look at around the 1998 mark mm-hmm. and there was just so much access to 
European and sherry season oak casks so much more so than there is now. Yeah. Right. And that, that allowed for a lot more wiggle room as far as things are created now. Now the, I guess the economic realm of the world says that we're very savvy now in what goes in there, right? We talk about that label being the youngest on there, but if we were to start pumping into sort of what we had, because we had it, you know, you could climb the ladder. I'm not saying we did, I'm not saying anything, right? <laughs> but you know, it's, it's a very different realm now. And so what we like to refer to this as an honest 12, an honest 18 year old whiskey that might have, might have a year or two older. Yeah, sure. It might have that was in there. Mm-hmm. But is it going to be different than the ones we had way back when everything was accessible and sort of the wheels were spinning with random abandon? Yeah. You know, yeah, it's very, it, it is different, of course. Yeah. You know, and when we talk about and we grow with things like the 21 year from Highland Park, it's a massive departure from what it used to be. And whoa, is it a good one? You know, I mean, that was a great spirit. This is better. You know, and this is, these are promises. These aren't just sort of, well, you can take my word for it. And try, maybe, maybe if you want to, you'll try and you'll come back to me. No, no, no. It's a promise. Right? And just sort of the, the innovative mentality of what they're delivering right now. Yeah. It's more complex. It's more intriguing. Is it going to be the same as your favorite? That's all relative. I mean, it's all going to be what you feel like you're saying. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to pour us the the next one, which when this hit the market, I was so excited as a Highland Park fan. Um, you know, other fans, I think everybody, I think yeah. even like non Highland Park fans were still really excited about this release. Yeah. And we like, were blown away. Yeah. yeah. It was, you know, it was something that had been asked for, for years, I'm sure. And then when it finally came out and we actually first time, either of us tasted it was on a podcast that we recorded and it's the new Highland Park cast strength. So do you want to intro the bottle as I pour it? Yeah. Go into, yeah. I guess what, uh, I don't know, a little bit behind the scenes of the, what, why they decided to release this. You know what, with our, our whole goal at Highland Park was to have an understanding of what the aging means, what the 12 years mean, how it differentiates moving to 15 and 18 and 21. Um, And that's, that's, that's a great walk. That's a great understanding of what whiskey is, what the casks do to it. Now, the cask strength, given what Highland Park is and where it's from, having that gentle peat nature to it, but the ability that everybody was always waiting for ramping up, what are we going to get to? You know, if they're sitting around that 40 and 43% mark, where can they go? And this was Gordon's idea of whiskey should be what you want it to be. You should drink it the way you like it. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tame it. I'm not going to take it down with water. I'm not going to, all I'm going to do is filter out the charcoal and I'm going to use such a massive, massive filter on this one. Nope. I'm not going to use any filter on this one. I'm not going to do anything. He said, I'm going to put it into the bottle at 63.3%. Yeah. For for this volume one of cast strength. And I promise you there's going to be iterations coming down the pipe and it's going to change even more. Right. And this was something he wanted to showcase could be truly your whiskey from the bottle into the glass, but a touch of water on this one and bang. Now that massive wild eyed 
conception that he had in his head starts to really flow around the glass. Everything changes. A little drop of water and everything changes with this. Now, keep in mind, if you're in Scotland and you don't have a little bit of water beside you, you're going to be cross-eyed. You get on any table and there's always water that's going to be there. Okay. So it's, it's not bastardizing your whiskey or anything of that matter. It's opening things up. It's getting more creative with what you're nosing, with what you're tasting. Mm-hmm. And with something of this complexity and this high ABV, right? I mean, we're, we're way up there. We're in the Booker's bourbon realm of, of ABV up here, right? So when we're playing at that 63.3% realm, look out. Right? You got to be gentle with this. This will put you on your butt real fast if you're not sure what's coming down the pipe. But what he was able to do without all of those, without all the gimmicks of filtering and all the, all the things that he needed to do with adding water and taming it down to a certain alcohol level, he somehow balanced it at 63.3%. He allowed this to dance on your tongue just nice. Get you salivating to the point where your next breath really changed everything. To have that flow of whiskey at that ABV without this crazy burn or without being able to still dissect it. And you can still pull apart that heather peat. You can still find it in the glass. The nose gets crazy. Yeah, it's and even I'm nosing side by side the the 12 and the cast strength. And the cast strength does not present itself like it is 20% (laughs) greater in ABV, which is incredible. I do get a little more, I get a little more out of the cast strength. I get more of the honey, honeyed sweetness and a bit more of like that kind of cinnamon like spice that you get occasionally from yes. the sherry versus the, I get a little more of like the the dark fruit and, and that from the sherry cast and the 12. That's know, the differences that I'm seeing. But That's awesome. It's the gentle giant, if you will, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's the one that's going to allow you to walk in the door and not be, not blast you straight away to the point where you go, Ooh, I'm not sure. Right, not but at all. It's inviting, and then it hits. But it hits in a great way. Yeah, I know when we when we first cracked this on the one recording that we did, and then you know we tried it neat first, obviously, and you know we were both like blown away, and we we're like, okay, this is like cast strength Highland Park. This is exactly <laughs> what we wanted. And then we <laughs> had this, you know, we had the water, and we put I think three or four drops um into it and then tried it and like oh we were blown away we were it was a completely different whiskey and we're not completely different but it was just like it it reinvented itself almost when people say that whiskey opens up with a couple drops like no this one opened up and unfolded like tenfold it was and like people even commented on that episode and we're like like was that a genuine reaction we were like yeah like we were blown away by how (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was the first time that we tried it yeah it was the first time i tried even the cast rank was on that episode so yeah which is awesome because those like new kind of genuine experiences are the best to showcase and it's authentic yeah exactly and we yeah like you said we put a couple drops of water in it and just it was just like a flower opening yeah Yeah. right like so much more fragrant and yeah, that's the sherry, the sherry started to present it itself a little bit more, and it just yeah, it was. I thought it was incredible. But it's it's it goes to show like after that episode aired and people were buying this and trying it, some had you know drank a bunch of the bottle and had never added water, and then they're like, well, if these two absolute nerds are adding water and getting blown <laughs> yeah. away, like then they tried it, and so many people would comment on Instagram or whatever after and just be like you guys by putting water in there got me to do it. And Holy, you weren't lying. Like it, 
is so yeah. like just <clears throat> fragrant when you add water. So I we call a, it prolonging the magic, man. Yeah. Prolonging yeah. the magic. You know, you know, you add three or four drops to every half ounce that you pour, and your bottle's gonna last a lot longer. You know it. <laughs> yeah. You know it. Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting thing. But like again, it reels all back to Gordon Motion's idea of whiskey should be drunk your way, right? Mm-hmm. You should enjoy it your way. There's there's so many times in the whiskey world, and this reels right back to the sort of pretentiousness and the clout of whiskey. And like we said, we do want it in certain stances, but in other stances, we want to be able to stand there and say, well, if you want to drink it this way, do it. It's yours. It's yeah. your bottle. You know, if you want to, if you want to have 10 drops of water because that's where you found your balance was lovely enjoy it that's yours have at her you won't find a bartender out there anymore that says well you can't do it that way right and if you do walk out right yeah. go somewhere where you don't have to deal with that nonsense right it's it's designed to be yours it's designed to be your whiskey as soon as it hits that glass in front of you as soon as you grab that bottle off the shelf that's your whiskey and that's, that's what's part of this inner circle that we love talking about it. And I love being at the table with this. You guys say whiskey nerds. I say the best people in the world to talk about whiskey with. Right? And that's, that's sort of the idea. That's what we want. Uh, we're, yeah, we're, we're nerds to the point where we, we obviously drink everything with water. Cause I just, I'm always curious what it all, what, what it'll do to the whiskey. Sometimes it doesn't do it any justice at all, but at least, you know, and if you can, if you can maximize the, like, I don't know, if, if you can pull out characters, different characters and transform the whiskey a little bit while you're drinking it, it's the same thing that like we, we talk a lot about how whiskey transforms as you get down the bottle, which a lot of some whiskeys and not all whiskeys are the neck pour compared to the last pour are completely different whiskeys altogether. And it's just, it's fascinating to see kind of how a whiskey like this evolves so much with just a couple drops of water and yeah. you'd be, you're, I don't know, in the group that, that we chat a lot about whiskey, it's use, yeah, use whatever your glass you want, pour as many, put as many drops of water in it, put ice in it, put out, drink it however you want. Just promise to enjoy it. That's all it is. <laughs> That's it. That's it. And if you can find that kaleidoscope of flavors where you're looking down that thing and you just, everything is sort of just all changes. Wow. Then why wouldn't you, right? Why wouldn't you? Why would you deprive yourself of that? Oh, it's amazing. Some, even the, we have, uh, we did a tasting with an independent uh, Highland Park, which I have behind me. It's a, it's a Hunter Lang. It's an 18 year old, old and rare. Oh, cool. Yeah. And it's, it's a, it's a hogshead or bourbon cask, or it has to be. It doesn't really say. Um, but even that one with a little bit of water was just, it, yeah, it just popped. Like it just, yeah. like it just punched you in the face with just this like crazy, new aromas and it just yeah it completely re- like presented itself a different way which was fascinating it's a pretty wild process that we take it on i mean from the way we kiln dry to the way we cut the peat to the people that work there i mean we've got such a rich history such a norse history scottish history um you know it's it's just such an interesting spirit. The cool maturation being where we are to change the casks in a certain way, to deliver the sweetness in a certain way. It's always going to stand apart. It, it'll be the one whiskey where you'll be able to, you can take 20 of them, line them up, brown bagged, go through the noses, and you'll be able to find Highland Park. Right? It's always going to be that one that stands out, not because of the big alcohol, not because of the low alcohol, because of the unique character and its makeup, 
you're going to be able to go, oh, that's my go-to. That's my go right there. Absolutely. One thing I wanted to ask about is um, Highland Park's known for having a lot of releases, a lot of unique releases. Um, do you find that with the number of releases compared to other labels, is it harder to bring the, all of them into Canada? It, like, is Edrington and Highland Park more focused on, like you said, the 12 and the cast strength and getting that in? Whereas, um, you know, it's probably challenging keeping up with the demands yeah. to serve the yeah. park drinkers out there. Right. Yeah. And I mean, we've got, we've got, we're lucky up here in Canada. We've got this incredible alliance with Beam Suntory as our distributor, mm-hmm. which, which holds a lot of clout. Now, yes, we are still always looking for allocation. The, the innovator die mentality I talked about earlier, never more present than at Highland Park. Right. Always, always, always play. And God bless them for it. I love it. But getting it out here. So what it's based on globally is the sales. And if we start to see from a certain realm and Western Canada hit that realm, we start to see that there's a certain market that is just exploding. You know, that they're consuming this spirit at, at a rate unlike any other. Well, then we start to shift allocation at our distillery and we start to Edrington America starts to position it so okay, not all of this will go into these parts of the United States or these parts of Mexico. What we're going to do is we're going to put this allotment solely aside, solely aside for Canada. And we're going to distribute it between the privatized market and the government markets. The government markets are beasts. As you, you know, you've seen these research dials right, with places that, uh, that one that will be unnamed out east and then you've got the you've you've got the the rest of the world right and so and so it's it's one of those things where we we really watch the consumer we really watch what you're drinking if you're enjoying those 12s and those 18s are disappearing off the shelf Mm -hmm. then 110 percent we're going to ensure that you know perhaps you know, little things like Triskelion or something like that, all of a sudden start to appear in the market or we have a little allocation, but we put it in specific spots. And we've got a whole team devoted to this, right? We've got a whole crew of some of the best minds out there in the whiskey world that are going, okay, this needs to be here. This needs to be here. And that one's going to go there because we can move it like that. And so is it difficult at some points? Yeah. And it's also based on our population, but we have such a, such a wealth of whiskey drinkers and such an adoration for it that when we do have the ability to get things, we're going to bring them through and especially the Canadian market. So that leads me to another question. We've seen two private or sorry, government run provinces. They've got their own uh, private casks, cast strength, private casks. Yeah. I know a lot of people in Alberta have been asking, are we going to see one here? Keep your eyes open real quick here. You just watch out. There's uh, like I said, there's, there's the wheels are spinning. The things are coming and they, they ain't far away. I promise you it's not far away. Well, and the one, the one I was going to bring up is uh, there's another group podcast that we've actually talked to a few, a uh, few times scotch in the city out of New York city. Yeah. And yeah. they had, they had a private cask done with their name on it. And a big part of it was philanthropy. They gave a lot of money to yeah. to charity. So, I mean, that's huge for us here too. So who knows, maybe down the line we'll have a park whiskey 
private cast. Are you winking? He's trying to wink with both eyes at the same time over here. <laughs> <laughs> but he's it's looking the cask a little silly. Yeah, that's the cask strength. <laughs> you know what? Yeah. With, with yeah. Edrington, with Edrington Americas, our ethos is always giving more. And so anything philanthropic, anything of that nature always grabs our attention, right? So we're always looking to uh, collaborate. So if we put a, a plan or presentation together and present it, then maybe we can drive it up the line a little bit to see what we can we do. Certainly to give it a go. <laughs> All right. That's why that's kind of why John, I like being out here. <laughs> that's kind of why I like being out here, you know, being in the Western Canada market, looking after these provinces, there's so much adoration for whiskey. There's so much appreciation of it. It's not all about knockbacks, man. I mean, mm-hmm. th- there's a time and a place for everything, but with this, it's more about just appreciating. You know, it's about really getting into that spirit and understanding what it is, understanding what created it, mm-hmm. how much time went into it. And that's when that's when those big powers that be start to really make their way over and go, let's let's put a little bit more time here. Let's pay a little bit more attention to this part of the planet than maybe we were before. And I tell you, Western Canada is it at the moment. This is it. And so I'm going to keep the pedal down as long as I possibly can. Oh, absolutely. We're like the Canadian whiskey scene has put themselves on the map worldwide. We are big time. We are, yeah, we are big time whiskey drinkers out here. And considering our our lack of population and, and, but the amount of whiskey that's consumed per, I don't know, per person in this country, if you, you can even, you go, if you even just Google it, we're in within the top 10 with some of the most populated nations in the world when it comes to whiskey consumption, which yep. like, if you just sit back and look at that, that's incredible. It's absolutely incredible that we, we can kind of, I don't know, just drive the eyes of some of these, these big brands and distilleries and they want to serve us over yeah. some, some other markets. Like that's incredible. Yeah. You look at our population and then you look at the festivals that people are attending. At the Winnipeg Whiskey Festival, you know, the Edmonton Scotch Fest, the World of Whiskey in Calgary, the Victoria Whiskey Festival, you know, it's it's nonstop. It's nonstop out here because there's such a demand. There's such a demand for it. And if you don't think the distilleries are paying attention to that, you are incorrect. They they are absolutely paying attention to it. Even with the the Fage Isle Festival that just went on 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 Isla, um, uh, Mike Brisebois sent out right sent out little packages so that people could take take part in the in the Buna tasting and you went on to that Facebook and there was just it was like the chat was overrun by Canadians which was just it was really really cool to see because they couldn't help but acknowledge the fact that Canada was here they were present they yeah. right and it's yeah you see that all over the place with with all these these big brands and it, it's it's cool being a part of it. Even yeah, like, it's really they, cool too. The yeah. big Facebook groups that I'm in, um, you know, run by different areas. Yeah. Um, mostly American based, but yeah, I mean, you go on there and you talk about stuff and there's Canadians all the time, just pumping Canada's tires. And it's, it's great to see. It was hilarious. I mean, you, they're throwing a festival in Scotland. We're seven, eight hours behind them, but we're the first in the gate. Right. It's fantastic. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, absolutely love it. The adoration for it, as I say, is second, second to none in my book. And uh, like I say, coast to coast, you know, we can talk about the same things in Atlantic Canada as we can on this coast in BC. And it's spectacular. There's like-minded people all over the world, which is why it's so cool what y'all do, right? And putting together platforms for people to actually listen in and find out. 
you know, who's in my trap, who's in my circle. And so that's, that's greatly appreciated. All right. Well, let's take the company hat off for a few minutes <laughs> yeah. and let's just talk about you as a person. So I know that uh, McAllen tasting that you hosted for us, you kind of talked about your baseball past. Oh yeah, here you go. Um, mm-hmm. So as a baseball fan myself, first I'm going to ask you how happy were you to finally see the Dodgers win a world series last year? <laughs> just kidding. That it wasn't Houston. <laughs> yeah. Hey, we didn't cheat. Glad it wasn't Houston. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but no, do you want to just briefly touch on your baseball pass? I think it's such a cool story. Um, you kind of touched on it at the beginning, but um, you did play some minor pro ball and there's some obviously minor league. Yeah. Like it was, it was division two ball, right. That, that I was in now, the idea of it was, I've been playing baseball since I was four. You know, I, I grew up when I was very young, I was in Ontario and my father, he said to my mother, well, I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. to take him to hockey practice. So let's not teach him how to skate and let's put him in something that I could take him to after work and we could we could balance this out. Right. And so I still can't skate Um, I can skate a little bit, but I can't stop, which is terrifying. Um <laughs> And so baseball became a thing at four years old. I was, I was swinging a bat. My dad thought I was a novelty. So he sent me up to the left side of the plate as well. And so switch it from, from early days. And it just kept going, man. And it's, it's the one thing I have just a ridiculous, silly memory for is the back of baseball cards. I I just love the game. I love the game from day one. And it progressed and progressed and progressed to the point where I was looking to go to schools down in Colorado um, after high school mm-hmm. and down into Lamar, Colorado, Div 2 NAI school, great ball program, great people down there, just a fun time. And then come back up, um, you know, you get down there and it's pricey. It's pricey to play baseball down there and, and keep yeah. going. So you get, you get a job and you try to sort of work it out, but then you go, eh. so we started looking and Lethbridge has an incredible baseball program. And so jumped back up North. Now I'm young at this time, fellas. I'm, I'm, I'm sort of 17 turned 18 and I'm just having a ride act. I'm out on my own, living on my own for the first time and just going at it. Baseball's everything. I was going to school for broadcast journalism and which I loved, you know, I was figuring, Hey, if it all goes high shape, then I can, you know, I can get out and, follow the games anyway, maybe, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll go work for a sports broadcaster and, and do it that way. So I'd still be in the baseball world. Mm-hmm. And so I, I got all kinds of fun degrees, you know, baseball sports management and scouting and, you know, started to drift away from the seriousness that was required to continue playing baseball, right? You have to have everything zeroed in, um, I was too young to have everything zeroed in and I started to lose that passion for always, always, always practicing. I started to be social butterfly. I wanted to go see everything, do everything. And again, this is what preface back. The hair got longer, right? The earrings started went in the beard started growing at about 15, but it just stayed. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to put it all down right now. And I'm going to, I'm going to move away from the baseball realm. I'm always going to keep it in my back pocket because my boy Griffey, you know, I'm always going to pay attention to him right right until he retires. And then even afterwards, and now he's even bigger part of baseball than he ever was as a player. And 
you know, always paid attention to it. And it's funny because when you're the one traveling in Switzerland playing for a night's stay and you're asking what the score in the Mariners game is or what the score in the Phillies game is, you know, they look at you like you've got three eyes, but it becomes a, a, well, a conversation point. And so baseball has always had a near and dear to me because it's always something to talk about with people. And it's become far more global now, but back then, you know, it was, it was a bit troublesome. So yes, I'll answer the other side of it too. I'm a Phillies fan. I love Bryce Harper. Yeah. Right? I do. Um, I'm excited that you guys have the Bauer outage in, uh, in, in La La Land, but uh, I'm more excited that you have Mookie Betts. And I tell you what, watching baseball right now is very exciting, especially north of the border here. As much as our team's crawling to get back from Buffalo into Toronto, yeah, watching Vladdy hit home runs oh, was a monster and beating up an the amazing, Red Sox. He's oh. amazing, amazing. It was just extraordinary to hear. Like even last night in that game, they're down one nothing going to the end and f- facing a, a magnificent closer. And he just pops one over the green monster. Like it's no big deal to, to tie it. Like he is just, he is captivating. Well, and the players are tuning in to watch him. It's, in, it's insane right now. It's incredible. Back to 22. I'm a, I'm a Jays fan, not a Dodgers <laughs> fan. Let's just get that square because oh boy. <laughs> I, I usually mute him. I mute him out. But. but like you were saying, like the dedication that goes into it, like when he was first trying to break into the league, everybody's saying like he, he doesn't, take care of himself off the field you know, he's got to lose a bunch of weight, but then he came back after that off season and he was not that he's like, you know, the most, you know, no, he's not, he's not that like he, model he, stature, but, no, but he, but took, he, took, care, it, he, he took, took it seriously. Yeah. He yeah. took care of his diet and yeah. you know, you could see it and now it's paying dividends. Like he's leading the, oh, the majors in home runs and he's, he's blowing by, people away by far. Like yeah. one of the top five most, watchable stars and oh, yeah he's, he's batting for average batting for power you know he's he's having fun i think that's where he's gaining most the most yeah. fans is every time you pan to him he's laughing he's smiling <laughs> these are grown men playing a boys game this is fun yeah right? this is our kids game i should say and it's super fun well right? and it's I've, super I've noticed, fun to watch like as a fan of the dodgers like you said trevor bauer um, they're baseball's finally getting into it, and I wish hockey would do it, but finally allowing their stars to have their own personality, marketing their stars. Yeah, like yeah. Trevor Bauer has his own YouTube channel where he literally takes you from his hotel room onto the bus, onto the plane, you know, into yeah. the dressing room, onto the field for warm ups or the days that he's not playing, and everything he has to go through, like from the media, he, he'll set his phone right next to him when he's doing his media conferences and you watch those highlights of those clips, but then you see his phone two days later when he puts it live. And yeah, like it's, it's so fun to see that side of it. Cause before baseball was always like, you see them for a couple hours on the TV and then yeah. you'd hear, you know, two sentences in the highlights and then that was it. Yeah. And that was it. Watch for Blake Snell as well. I mean, he's oh, yeah. hilarious, man. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. Great. These guys, you find out, you find out what they're like behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. I see where you're going. I see you find out what they're like behind the scenes and everything becomes a little bit more enjoyable, right? You want to tune in a bit more because you know that just this morning, you know, he, he, he couldn't get out of bed. He couldn't move his right leg, you know, yet he's on the bump, you know, he's yeah. got it going and he's ready to go. Right? And so it's one of those things. And Trevor Bauer was the one who said, 
I have no problem with Fernando Tatis showing me up. I love it. I think it's oh. baseball, yeah. right? It's baseball and it's fun and I don't take it personally. Um, if you don't run after five seconds, yes, you're going to take one in the ear. There's no question. Right? Yeah. And I get that. That's sports. Oh, like he, uh, like obviously I'm a huge fan of him, but he also, he sells his own merch. He has his own, he got in trouble with it because he had a shirt under his Jersey with his own logo. <laughs> like, the commissioner fined him for it or whatever. But now he sells t-shirts and stuff. And one of them is one eye closed three straight strikes or something like that. Cause yeah. that's his thing. He goes after these stars and he pitches with one eye closed. Yeah, yeah. But now all that merch, every single cent of it, he donates to charity. So, yeah. I mean, like, I don't know. To me, it's like all the all the top players, Bryce Harper, you know, uh, Trout. Like they, you see that they actually have a personality. They're real people, and yeah, they make more money than we'll ever dream of. But they're still human beings, and yeah, they do get up the, the day that they have to pitch, and they can't. You yeah. know, they don't feel right, and you know they'll show you. And which yeah. is crazy because you never saw it before. It's no different than what we're like when we talk about uh, whiskey brands and then the personalities behind them, right? It's you, you can, you, like drinkers or, or fans of, of sports teams attach themselves to the brands. But if you want to really get them to engage, then they got to be able to attach themselves to the personalities as well. And that that's yeah. when you get like true engagement and fanship and, and all these things. And the honestly, NBA does it better than anybody nba and the nfl do it <laughs> they do it really really well and that's why they're the most dominant dominating sports right now and when it comes to tv and fanship so yeah i would like to see the nhl take a page out of out of their books but they love to be the reserved and they try and kessler i mean yeah they're, yeah they're i like, move here i do love that and kessler obviously the Norwich man i'd like to punch punch him square in the teeth but he probably punched me back yeah. harder so <laughs> but he is he's a character and even like kevin bxo on sportsnet he he's, man, he makes the show oh i love it because he gives everybody a hard time he's just like a true hockey boy in the yeah. center of a bunch of analysts kind of thing and he, he'll call it like he calls out he calls it as it is when they're talking about the game which that that is what people truly want yeah yeah and you heard him he was right last night on the mouse per hour Right? Yeah. Yeah. They said, you, you got to give your head a shake. You think that was 108 and turns out they redid it and it was 100.8. Yes. Right? And yeah. so I was going, man, what a show. Oh, I what know. a show. He, he calls it out. But he I mean, calls out Ellie Friedman, Friedman all the time. Which yeah. I love. Oh yeah. He was giving it to him last night. Yeah. Man, I tell you. <laughs> like even you go like, like in the podcast world, like the spit and chicklet chicklets podcast with yeah. Paul Bissonnette, like that guy was a beauty and he was oh, probably the first weird. personality that while he was playing that he's pioneered it for hockey for sure. Yeah. And now like, man, I'll see clips on YouTube and it's like guys that are retired now telling the stories about meeting scouts before their draft and like the crazy stuff that they would do to them. <laughs> like, <laughs> Oh, it's yeah, it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. We, we got off a little bit from whiskey, but that's okay. We're big sports fans too. So, and you we, how people know that about you. You're obviously you a sports fan as well. Yeah. And I'm who's, an Edmonton fan too. Who's so. your hot, who's your hockey team? Oilers. Oh, they are. You are an Oiler fan. <laughs> yeah. You, oh, you, you got a guy you. representing us. You got a guy representing us there, there for BM Centauri named Andy Hansen. He's, he's oh, my yeah. go guy. He's my go-to for all the updates that I might need. And I tell you, I, I had to, pleasure of walking through the beautiful 
iconic stadium in the ice district and right sort of as it was getting going when it was first built and you know going down to the chairman's lounge getting up to the kate's suite yeah you know and finding out all the fun things about it kate's suite there's a 70 inch tv facing and and a big l couch facing away from the ice and they said that's just where mr kate's and gretz would just crush molson's up there and just sort of watch something else you know and and it was it all changed it all changed and now that uh you know that that stadium is revered in north america for not only hockey but for music for beautiful any sort of performance and the area the ice district is spectacular you know i i love wandering around there you know getting out to campio you know getting into some of the the wonderful places down in uh right Right down beside Mercer Tavern, there, there's yeah, right on one hundred four Street yeah. where you've got yeah. this whole nice old towny kind of cafes and bars and oh yeah. man, and it's spectacular! It's yeah. spectacular to walk into. Uh, you know, Corey Wilfert's a guy that's down there, and he's he's been a staple down there for some time. To get in and talk to bartenders like that and hospitality enthusiasts like that, it's a treat. I love 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 being in Edmonton. And yes, I had the pleasure of meeting Connor McJesus. And yes, I think dry saddles, all that in a bag of chips. And I'm, I'm, I'm very excited to see what comes of next season and yeah. in the off season to be perfectly plug, honest. Plug, plug just a little bit more depth around them and that this team transforms from, from a playoff team to a contender. And that, that's really mm-hmm. all it's going to take. It's it, not easy. Ken Holland's got his work cut out for him. But uh, it's we're they're not they're not far away. People love to love to shit on the Oilers, saying that they're obviously too top heavy. But how can you not be top heavy when you've got two players like like two of the David and Drysdale? You can't like. Yeah. There's just who else like it, it, Dave Tippett's looking down down the bench, and those guys are sitting on it. Like, how could you not be doing whatever it took to get him back on the ice like that? There's, I've never there's seen anybody move. I've never seen anybody move the way he, McDavid moves on skates. No, no it's, it's it's next level. He's got seven more gears than the next fastest person. Yeah, it's spectacular. Like, I know. There, there may be guys that can equal him too. in speed, but he can do it with the puck, yeah. and nobody he's, else can do what he does when he his has brain. The puck on his, his brain yeah. functions at a different level than yeah. anybody on the ice. Oh. The best part is next year we should be able to enjoy 104th Street before and after a game, which is good. Yeah. Well, in downtown, I really hope that like obviously the last year, like Edmonton was really working on revitalizing and and building up the downtown core. And then obviously COVID hit and everything kind of came to a standstill and everybody, lots of people left. So I really, really hope that people start going back down there. And and, and Edmonton's downtown is not going to be any different than anybody's. Everybody's going to be struggling when you talk about cores. So no I, really, I would really love to see, yeah, that revitalization still take place. And that's what we, as soon as we can travel again, I'm hoping by the end of the summer, early autumn, I'll be, I'll be back out and, and can't wait to get back into these venues and you know, assist in driving some traffic in there and, and call people out to come down and meet. You know, and let's get into it. Let's go. Cool. Let's go have some fun when we can again. Yeah, in in the ice district, when you do come, we'll take you to to uh, see a, a good buddy of mine, Gurjeet, at uh, at Guru, and you he's get just it. like a cocktail magician. This guy is incredible, and the the, the Indian food is phenomenal. But uh, oh, yeah, I'm a we'll, fan. We'll we'll yeah we'll, we'll make some plans and we'll meet down there, and he'll he'll put on a little show for us because he's he just loves to host so. 
And I'm over the moon. That yeah. sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, we may not even need tickets to the game. We'll just watch it there. Yeah, we'll watch <laughs> it there. but we'll yeah we'll <laughs> we'll we'll figure it out. Um, is there what? Where else do you want to go with this? We've kind of spun into uh, a flurry of sports, which <laughs> hey, I, I'm all good with. Um, well, I'll I'll just ask outside of your okay, there you go. your portfolio that you manage is there a brand or a specific bottle maybe that you reach to um to drink on your own in the whiskey world yeah yeah or i guess anything yeah anything really um outside of our brands is yeah it, it, it's tough we, we've got a we've got quite a breath and so <laughs> it's hard not to live live in it all the time i'm sure too right because you're it's a little tricky it's a little tricky to to yeah. jump outside i'm just trying to think here you know if i was to jump outside of edrington i would go i'd i'd probably jump into either the rum world or the bourbon world and if i jumped into the bourbon world i'd probably i'd probably lay my hat at the basil hayden or maker's mark door Right. I, I, I really, really dig getting into those. Um, I'd say maybe. No, I was going to get into clear spirits, but I just can't do it. (laughs) I just can't do it. I can't, but he wants to know if you drink Irish whiskey. So I'll ask for him. (laughs) Yes, I do. And I drink, uh, I drink red breast most of the time. Uh, nice. There you go. Nice, nice. Yeah. I'm just staring at the 21 <laughs> right in front of me. <laughs> yeah, I got the 21 red breast sitting right above my brow here. So is a gem, a gem. And again, red breast was introduced to me by Pat McIntyre down at the uh, Ironwood stage. Oh, He's yeah, the okay. one that he made that my bartender handshake for the longest time. And beautiful. Yeah, come get you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's um out of like uh distilleries that you've visited over the years? What's uh what's one that stands out mostly to you? Besides the new McAllen, yeah, obviously that'll stand out to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> that thing, that thing's a spaceship. Yeah, yeah it, it's uh, it's leaps and bounds above. You know what? One outside the box, the Willet Distillery down in Kentucky oh, there you go. by Heaven Hill. It is an absolute gem. It's got a natural amphitheater down there, and they sort of run a bit of a B and B as well. You know, there's any given time you find you know, all of a sudden, you know, you'll hear music coming in. Ben Harper or Dave Matthews playing down in the amphitheater. And it's just such a cool bunch. And Calverson just being such a young man, you know, he grew up with the bourbon Bible Mm -hmm. and now you've got the likes of uh, the Russell boys looking to him, you know, going, what would you do in this situation? And those grounds are they're They're spectacular. So that, that, that is one beautiful, beautiful distillery to roll some casks around we were, I was supposed to go uh, with my wife to Kentucky for Mike's my 40th birthday this year. And yeah. we've, we've obviously had to delay and delay because of the travel restrictions, but I'm hoping as soon as, well, as soon as it lifts, it'll either be in the fall or well, actually it won't be in the fall because we're expecting in December. <laughs> so I guess it'll be next, <laughs> it'll be next spring is probably realistically when we go, but I'm going to hit every single bourbon distillery I possibly can. Oh, it's, it's a riot, man. I mean, if, if you have the opportunity, you've got the planning time, reach out yeah. to those, uh, those mint julep tours and those, those tour groups, if you can, yeah. depending on how many people you're going down with, because 
they just make it even more enjoyable. You know, you're in a captain's chair the whole time. You've got a little fridge underneath you. You pull it out. It's got a whole bunch of uh, mm-hmm. Gatorade and water bottles and all kinds of stuff down there. And uh, they just keep you rolling and then drop you back at your hotel. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's honestly the, the benefit of having a decent, I guess, followership on Instagram is a lot of them have reached out to me asking Good. when I'm going to visit because they want me to post and and obviously help, which is, which is great. So I'm, I have no doubt that I'll get the, the Royal service while I'm down there. I just can't, yeah, I just can't wait until I can. Um, I'm definitely going to hook up with, with Ray and see what he can yeah. and see what he can do to, to kind of hook up some really cool tours and yeah, and I'll be using all my resources possible. That's for sure. You could, there's a good chance you can see if you stay right in Louisville and you could see Bernie lovers perform music, you know, he, what a musician right? and then, and then talk about whiskey, Yeah, you know, then have a dram, you know, there's, oh, know. there's all know. kinds of fun things. The third street dive, there's all kinds of places down there, man. You're going to, you're going to have I might the, not come uh, back. the Royal tour. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to, we're and my, my wife's uh, family lives because she's American. So we're going to drop the kids off on the way and then just go. And when we come back, we come back. <laughs> Deserve it. Deserve it. Yeah, no. I'll be congratulations to you. That's that's fantastic. Very happy for you. Yeah, coming you. coming down the pipe. And having having a boy too, which we just found out, which is super exciting. I have a, a beautiful little girl, and now we get to I guess finish off the million dollar family, as everyone's commented. But I saw uh, the balloon pop. It's incredible, man. Yeah. That was great. <laughs> yeah. I know everyone's, they call it the million dollar family to have a boy and a girl, but I, do they give me a million bucks at the hospital when yeah, the boy comes? I hope so. You yeah, <laughs> I can sure, I can sure <laughs> use it. That's for sure. But you have to win the, the COVID lottery that they just announced. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Let's look at going on that. Um, Speaking of COVID, <laughs> obviously, um, how can you not in the last two years, but um, every ambassador that we talk to that is a traveling ambassador, you know, now they've had 18 months where you don't get to travel at all. Are you itching to get back out there? I am, man. I love it. I love getting to interact with people and, and see the excitement firsthand on their face. This is good. This is so, this is sort of kept us going. You know, the Zoom yeah. calls, the Teams calls, it's kept us going so that we can still interact. Um, but the ability to turn off the camera and sort of, sort of fade away and, you know, go grab a beer and do sort of, it, that's there. When, when you've got a, an audience and you're connecting with everybody you're mm-hmm. right there and you're right in it with them and you can see the smile start to creep on their face and you can see the the one whiskey that was too many for them and you can see the one whiskey that wasn't enough right <laughs> that's that's everything that's everything in what we do and just having that that one-on-one straight in the eye just what do you feel about what do you want to talk about what music were you listening what beer were you having you know what were you eating right and that's that's the interaction i love and miss you know, I've been very lucky, very blessed living out here that we had patios pretty much rocking and we had the weather to sustain them for a longer period of time. Um, and now we're full bore back open and rolling again, almost full bore, I'll say. Yeah. But uh, it's it's something I've missed terribly. You know, you get itchy feet. And like I said, I've been traveling since I was a pup. So it, it's 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 time to get going again. I'm ready for it. Yeah, well, you're you're obviously a pretty social character, and and so yes. and so are we. Like we're just itching for festival season to come alive again, and and all these things. I'm I'm in the process of planning out the development of my basement, and I want to in a corner. I'm going to put like an actual little sitting studio, 
and honestly for this podcast next year i'd love to when when gentlemen like when people like you come through i'd love to have you over in the studio and we'd sit and actually drink together and talk whiskey which would be really cool and love to do it yeah love to do it that's that's uh that's the plan and it'll it'll happen right we'll we'll get back to normal here and people will function like we did we'll find a way and we'll better make the best yeah better well yeah we should we should learn from it and get better for sure exactly now nobody will take you know those pre-festival dinners at the bothy where we're eating haggis and you know (laughs) with a group of people we won't take that for granted no we won't take anything for granted i don't think no it could get stripped away from you in an instant like it did Oh, I know. It's it's incredible. But I yeah, I can't wait. It's coming. Thank it's God. coming for sure. And we can't wait to have you have you out and see you in some festivals and just I can't wait to sneak some treats to you and just have yeah. some stuff and you know, let you know in the interim what you know what stuff that's coming down the pipe. And I love <laughs> the questions you're asking, are all the right ones. And so I promise you there's some good things coming. No, we're we're looking forward to it. So but um Let's yeah, let's call it a show and then thank you. I honestly I can't thank you enough for coming on with us and chatting and I've I like that uh, we're obviously developing a, a friendship with you and I'm, I'm yeah, I'm looking just just looking forward to the future. That's what it's all about. It's about doing this, about having some fun. I'm all in favor of drinking whiskey on your own whenever you want, but when you can do it with pals, you do it with pals. That's what right? whiskey's so. for. It's it's for creating memories and sharing memories and and just and being social that's what it's all about i'm pretty sure my that's shirt it. says whiskey's for sharing Whiskey is for sharing exactly Whiskey's for sharing you know that's this sort of thing in in all over the world we say cheers they say nastrovia slancha yeah highland park we say skull so thank skull. you very much gentlemen and skull thank you my friend <laughs> <laughs>